Welcome to another episode of Do Loss. My name is Levi Bimba, and on today's show, we're going to talk about the possible fall of abortion in the United States. So a massive leak took place last week, Monday, and I'm sure you've all seen it in the news or at least heard about it, where the Supreme Court of the United States has put a, a, a draft opinion. So it's not the official opinion, but a draft opinion that should be coming out officially uh, in June regarding the case of Roe v. Wade based on the Mississippi case that was brought to the Supreme Court. Uh, in, in this document, it leaked that uh, Supreme Court Justice Samuel Alito wrote a, a, an opinion regarding why Roe v. Wade should be overturned. And Roe v. Ro, Roe v. Wade was a case back uh, in 1973 that gave women the right, so to speak, to kill their own children, their, their developing babies within, within their wombs. And something that was shocking to me when I looked it up is that the Supreme Court voted seven to two. So there's nine people on the Supreme Court when they vote. Uh, they each take a vote for or against the, the ruling. So seven uh, out of the nine justices voted to give women the right to kill babies within their wombs back in 1973. Some of those liberal, some of, the, some of, the, some of those were conservative as well. But mostly it was conservative justices that voted in favor. People that would be more, you would think, more aligned with uh, Christian ideals and Christian thinking, they were the ones who actually gave women the right to kill their babies and even gave men indirectly the right to kill their own babies because obviously women don't make, make babies by themselves. Men are involved in this process. And I think that's something that's very, uh, pretty, pretty sinister is that men have been completely removed from the situation regarding this issue. It seems like this is more focused on women and obviously for a good reason because they are bringing the child uh, to term and they, and they do have to deliver the child but obviously you don't have a child without a male involved and it just seems like men have been completely erased from the picture when it comes to abortion uh, which is just the murder of children in the womb and so the conservative justice that voted in favor of giving women the right to abort their babies they actually kind of couched their ruling in the first fourth fifth ninth and fourteenth amendments in the constitution and i wanted to read those to try to re relay to you and to, to myself to the, the thinking that these conservative justices had in regarding giving, the, giving women the right to kill, to kill babies. So the First Amendment, they said, that, uh, one, of the, one of the amendments, which is the First Amendment, uh, was used to justify this right to kill a baby. So this is what the First Amendment says in the Constitution. Quote, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances end quote and obviously nowhere in there do you see the right to kill children the right to for a, a woman who is pregnant to kill the baby within her womb but obviously somehow they came up with the reasoning in that first amendment this the other amendment another amendment that they used to justify this right is the Fourth Amendment, and the Fourth Amendment says this, quote, the right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated, and, nor, and no warrants shall issue but upon probable cause, supported by oath or affirmation, and particularly describing the place to be searched and the persons or things to be seized. OK, that's and this is where when you watch crime uh, TV shows, they always talk about how did you get a warrant to go search this, this suspect's property? Did you get a warrant? And it comes from the Fourth Amendment. You have to have a warrant, a, a signed document from the higher court uh, or whatever court it is. I don't I don't, I, I don't even know myself, but the court uh, a court has to give you the, the ability to have a warrant signed by a judge to go 
into somebody's house to search or to take some particular things. And some of the warrants are restricted to what you can look at, what rooms you can look into and things like things of that nature. So this is one of the other ones where they somehow they gave women the right to vote out of this Fourth Amendment. Another one is the Fifth Amendment where it says, quote, no no person shall be held to answer for a capital or otherwise infamous crime unless on presentment or indictment of a grand jury, except in cases arising in the land or naval forces or in the militia, when in actual service in time of war or public danger. Nor shall any person be subject for the same offense to be twice put in jeopardy of life or limb, nor shall be compelled in any criminal case to be a witness against himself, nor deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor shall private property be taken for public use without just compensation. So this is where you you hear people saying, plead the fifth. They're not going to be a witness against themselves. They don't want to incriminate themselves. That's where that right comes from. But more particularly, when it's focusing on the phrase, quote, life, liberty, or property, or this person shall not be deprived of life, liberty, or property. That's one of the phrases that they brought out within the majority opinion back in 1973, because they were thinking that if you don't give women this right, you are depriving them of life, of liberty, and of property. You don't, they don't have the right, uh, the right to go about their lives if, they're not, if they don't have the right to kill the baby within their womb. That was kind of the argument that they came up with back in 1973. Uh, and then there's two more amendments that they use. Uh, the Ninth Amendment says, quote, the enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. And this one is just saying that all the other rights that are listed, you can't use another right to kind of deny or contradict one of the other rights that come about. So you can't say that we should have a law respecting uh, free speech and freedom of assembly, and then you make another right that says, well, there is a law against free speech and freedom of assembly. That's basically what the Ninth Amendment is saying there. And then the 14th Amendment, uh, which is the last one that they use to justify the right to kill babies in the womb, is that all persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. And there again is that that life, liberty, or property clause and then added to in addition to that is without due process of law so this is another one of those that they use to justify giving women the right to kill babies within the womb and so justice harry blackman he was one of the uh the justices that wrote that supported uh, giving women the right to to kill babies and he was the one who wrote their majority opinion meaning he's the one that laid out the ruling and the reasoning that they came uh that they used to come to that conclusion and he kind of re- represented the other six that voted in favor of this of this of this act and uh and in his in his opinion uh, that i read um some of he one of the one quote that he said that he wrote kind of stuck out to me and it kind of undermined his whole case and all the and the, and the, the entire case of those who voted in favor of this of this evil act uh he says quote pregnancy often comes more than once to the same woman and in the general population if man is to survive it will always be with us End quote. So back in 1973, which is obvious to anybody who is above the age of you know four or five years old, you realize that people that are pregnant, women that are pregnant, are bringing a human being into the world. So he recognized that if people, you know, human beings, you and me, are to survive in this world, we have to come through the womb. There's no other way for us to be born uh, naturally. That's the only way for us to be born is coming through a, a woman's womb. 
And so he says in his own opinion that he's giving women the right to kill babies in the womb. He's saying, well, if we're going to survive you know, as man on, upon earth, then pregnancy is always going to be part is always going to be with us. Uh, and so I think to me, when I read that, I'm like, this is you're, you're contradicting your, your entire case just with that one phrase. And so he continued it. But he also talked about how that the um, his decision included a completely invented foundation of viabilities. When is a fetus viable? Was it, when is it able to survive outside of the womb? Uh, and so they used all kinds of machinations to come up with some kind of justification. They went to the, they went to the, uh, the Constitution to find it in those five amendments, amendments that I just read. And then they also came up with something called viability, which is what we've heard a lot regarding this debate. And this controlled what kinds of restrictions were applicable by virtue of the three trimesters of pregnancy. Because obviously, you know, women, when they're born, they have a first trimester, a second trimester, and a third trimester of pregnancy. And they, so they barred all, all you know, ab- abortions within that third trimester because that's when babies are more, quote-unquote, viable than before the third trimester when they are less, quote-unquote, viable, whatever that means. And so Samuel Alito, the current, one of the current Supreme Court justices, he, in regards to this, uh, this reasoning given by the 1973 Supreme Court, Samuel Alito said, which is one of the conservative justices, he says, quote, under this scheme, each trimester of pregnancy was regulated differently. But the most critical line was drawn at, the, at roughly the end of the second trimester, which at the time corresponded to the point at which a fetus was thought to achieve viability i.e. the ability to survive outside the womb. So all of this was, was based upon what time was his fetus viable and at what point. So within the, you know, the, the end of the second trimester, at the beginning of the third trimester, when that, whatever that day changes to from second trimester to the third trimester, all of a sudden you can't kill it. And that was, the reason, that was you know, pretty much the reasoning, reasoning that they came up with back in 1973. If it goes past this point, then all of a sudden don't kill it. Uh, you don't have that right anymore, but just the day prior, you did have the right to kill it, and it really doesn't make any sense. It's like saying, you know, a two-year-old child. Once, if he's uh, if he's one year old up until December twenty-second, uh, and then he turns two years old, you have the right to kill him at two, but not at the not. But you don't have the right to kill him when he's one year old and three hundred sixty-four days. It really doesn't make any sense once you once you th- start thinking about it. And so, Justice Samuel Alito, he wrote uh, an opinion. Last week, or he actually wrote it back in February and got it released last week, uh, unbeknownst to the people that were involved in the process, which, from my understanding, it's a very tight window of people who could have known about this opinion and read it and, and been able to release it, including the nine justices themselves. And so it's a very small window that they're investigating right now. But I, I think it's interesting to, to look at the reasoning that this guy came up with to overturn Roe v. Wade and uh, Planned, Her- uh, Planned Parenthood versus Casey, which is another case that upheld uh, the right to abortion back in 1992, I believe. And so I just took out some of the quotes that he had in, re- in reasoning his case as to why Roe should be overturned. So I'm going to read some of his quotes and talk about that and show you some of the re- reaction that took place to this case or to this opinion being released. And also, obviously, talk about what God's view of abortion is. And I think it's so clear once you read the scriptures and you think about them, you understand that God uh, hates abortion and deems it as murder in his eyes. And so we'll read Justice Samuel Alito's opinion, some of his quotes from the opinion that he wrote, and, and talk about them a little bit. So here's the first one that I thought was interesting. He said, Casey, talking about the case back in 1992, Planned Parenthood versus Casey, uh, it says, Casey threw out Roe's trimester scheme and substituted a new rule of uncertain origin under which states were for- forbidden to adopt any regulation that imposed an undue burden on a woman's right to have an abortion. 
The decision provided no clear guidance about the difference between a due and, and an undue burden. But the three justices who authored the controlling opinion called the contending sides of a, con of a national controversy to end their national division by treating the court's decision as a final settlement of the question of the constitutional right to abortion. So instead of using the, you know, the uncertain origin or the uncertain uh, uh, standard of, of trimester or viability, he said the new case back in 1992 says that uh, if you put an, if a woman is going to suffer an undue burden, then she has the right to kill her baby. And again, they never really define what's the difference between a due burden and an undue burden. And that's the reason that they use to upheld to uphold the reasoning to kill uh, a baby within the womb. And obviously he and in, in this case, he's saying that's so arbitrary that that's that's laughable. And obviously, as Christians, as an undue burden, what, I mean, what is an undue burden? Because the Bible says that children are a blessing from the Lord. Children are are the inheritance of the Lord, even. And it's a reward from the Lord to be to have children. And uh, so what does it mean to say that this is a undue burden on a woman for her to have a child uh, uh, and to bring a child into the world? Um, one of the other quotes that Samuel Leto had was that we hold that Roe and Casey must be overruled. The Constitution makes no reference to abortion and no such right is implicitly protected by any constitutional provision, including the one on which the, the defenders of Roe and Casey now chiefly rely. The due process clause of the 14th Amendment. That provision has been held to be that provision has been held to guarantee some rights that are not mentioned in the Constitution, but any such right must be deeply rooted in this nation's history and tradition and implicit in the concept of ordered liberty. So basically what he's saying there is that the due process clause does not guarantee you the right to kill a baby within the womb. The due process clause doesn't have anything to do with giving you the right to murder uh, somebody in that respect. And so when it comes to your own liberty, liberty doesn't give you the right to go kill people in the womb. And, and, and even as Christians, I think we understand that. Uh, Romans 14, I believe, talks about the concept of Christian liberty, where somebody has a problem eating meat that's sacrificed to idols, and you don't have a problem eating meat sacrificed to idols, then uh, one, you, you can't judge one another for that issue because it's not a sin to eat meat sacrificed to idols, nor is it not a sin, or nor is it a sin to, to eat meat sacrificed uh, to idols. So we have this concept of liberty, but that doesn't mean that because we're all Christian, we can do whatever we want. That's part of the problem we have today where we have this hyper grace movement where we're able to, just, you know, God loves you so much. He, he died for you. Now you don't really have to worry about keeping his law. You don't really have to worry about doing what God's law has prescribed. You can just go about your Christian life, do whatever uh, you like, but you're forgiven. God loves you. You don't need to change anything. But that's not part of the liberty that God gives us. The, the rules and commandments that God has given us are for our own good. And Jesus himself said, if we love him, we will keep his commandments. And part of our way of showing that we love God and we love Christ, even though he has given us freedom, he's given us freedom to obey his law, not just to do whatever we want. So that's the same kind of understanding here where this due process clause does not give you the right to go and just do whatever you want, especially when it comes to killing a baby within your womb. Another quote Samuel Leto had was that the right to abortion does not fall within this category. Until the latter part of the 20th century, such a right was entirely unknown in American law. Indeed, when the 14th Amendment was adopted, three quarters of the states made abortion a crime at all stages of pregnancy. So within the history of this country, abortion, the murder of children in the womb was a crime at all stages of pregnancy, regardless of what stage it was in. So there was no a viability issue. There was no burden, you know, due burden or undue burden issue at hand. It was always that's a child in the womb. You do you don't have the right to kill it. And that was that was within about 75 percent of the states uh, in the in the 20th century. 
or until the latter part of the 20th century, I should say. Um, and so uh, he continues and it says that the abortion right is also critically different from any other right that this court has held to fall within the 14th Amendment's protection of liberty. Rose offenders characterize the abortion right as similar to the rights recognized in past decisions involving matters such as intimate sexual relations, contraception, and marriage. But abortion is fundamentally different, as both Roe and Casey acknowledge, because it destroys what those decisions called fetal life and what the law now before us describes as an unborn human being. So he was saying that... uh, just because you have liberty, obviously, like he's, he's been making the case, that doesn't give you the right to abort a child. That doesn't give you the right to kill a baby. And, I was, and he's saying that people who object to uh, turning overturning Roe versus Wade or defend people who want to defend Roe versus Wade, he's saying that the other rights that, well, that are now threatened are going to be, uh, you know, who you sleep with, contraception, marriage, and all those other issues will now be up for grabs. And he's saying, well, no, that's not really the case here. Because what you are doing with regards to abortion is that you are actually ending fetal life. And this is what they called it themselves, the people who supported Roe. And, but the law now describes, uh, describes the, this fetal life, this fetus, as an unborn uh, human being. And so when it comes to marriage, when it comes to contraception, when it comes to intimate sexual relations, nobody's dying there. Nobody is uh, suffering the end of their life in, in those situations. Um, however, I think when it comes to those situations, again, we have to be ruled by what the God, uh, but, but what God calls uh, right and, and good. And so our, our knowledge of what is good when it comes to intimate sexual relations comes from God. Our knowledge of what is good regarding contraception comes from God. The, 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 our knowledge of what is good regarding marriage and even marriage itself is defined by God as between one man and one woman for life. So what any other relationship that the world wants to call marriage is not marriage. But uh, Samuel Lito here is saying that those rights aren't even at issue here at this point. Because we're, t- we're dealing with actual physical death of a human being. And so uh, he continues also in his opinion and he says, quote, Roe was egregiously wrong from the start. Its reasoning was exceptionally weak and the decision has had damaging consequences. And of course, that is 100 percent true. Uh, now, does he say that it was egregiously wrong because it goes against God's law? No, he didn't do that. But that's why it was egregiously wrong, because it goes against the law of God regarding the protection of children and and not killing people uh, for the sake of convenience or for you know for for a reason that is not defined by the law of God. Uh, so its reasoning obviously was weak. As I said, it was based on tri- trimester, some kind of trimester timetable. Where if it gets past this ti- this trimester, then it's okay to to kill it. Or if it ever doesn't get to this trimester uh, location, then it's okay to kill it. And so all, all these kinds of machinations that they came up with that had nothing to do with the Constitution. There was really no legal reasoning or precedent for this kind of, for this kind of decision. They were just making things up pretty much as to uh, maybe responding to the public pressure at that time, which is what the world is trying to do now, especially a lot of people today that are now even doxing, which, is, which means releasing the, the home addresses of these Supreme Court justices who voted in favor of overturning Roe. They're using intimidation tactics to try to get these people to change their mind. And I think some of the justices I've even had to leave leave home and go to an undisclosed location because people have been so angry because they don't get the right. They may not have the right to kill their own baby uh, within the United States or within some of the states of the United States, as we'll see in a minute, that this this act, this act, if it comes down as official to overturn Roe v. Wade, that doesn't mean that it's going to destroy the abortion altogether. And we'll see that in just a second. But Samuel Alito continues here and he says it is time to heed the Constitution and return the issue of abortion 
to the people's elected representatives. The permissibility of abortion and the limitations upon it are to be resolved like most important questions in our democracy by citizens trying to persuade one another and then voting. That is what the Constitution and the rule of law demand. And this is where I, I think I and, and I think every other Christian would disagree. It, it's that the uh, what is true and what is good is defined by what God deems good and true, especially when it comes to the issue of murder. And if we can't have a objective standard of what murder entails from conception to, uh, you know, however old somebody is, then uh, we're not going to be able to have a coherent defense when it comes to murder. Because now what we're saying is that murder is not uh, murder of children in the womb is not a clear cut issue. We just need to release it back to the states and have the states decide whether or not they want to have abortion in their state. And we see that uh, going on right now. There's states that will that still say we will provide abortion. Uh, we'll even pay for you to come have an abortion here. We'll increase tax dollars on other people uh, and use their money to pay for abortions for the women who are trying to come and get abortions in our state. And we see that all, all kinds of things that are happening within the country right now are in certain states that are, will do whatever it takes to provide protection for the right to abort. I think in California, which obviously shouldn't be shocking to most of us, that Gov- or Governor Gavin Newsom said he wants California to be a sanctuary state for abortion. Not for babies, not for people who are fleeing states that are, you know, are giving uh, willful freedom to abort babies. But he wants to be a state where you can come and get an abortion basically for free up uh, up until the point of birth. And, and so that's the evil that is at work in the nation right now regarding wanting to kill children. Uh, one other quote that uh, Samuel Alito had, Alito had, I think I have two more quotes here, but he says, In his opinion, the law at issue in this case, Mississippi's Gestational Age Act, contains this central provision. Except in a medical emergency or in the case of a severe fetal abnormality, a person shall not intentionally or knowingly perform or induce an abortion of an unborn human being if the probable gestational age of the unborn human being has has been determined to be greater than 15 weeks. And so when I was taking note and reading this and I reread it and I kind of zeroed in on the clause where he says, except in a medical emergency, which I think is good because if the mother is going to die, then you have to step in and do something and uh, to save the life of the mother, not to just kill the child for the sake of the mother's convenience. But if she's going to die and the baby obviously is going to die with her, then you need to save the life of the mother. And if that involves something where uh, I think it's called ectopic pregnancy, when uh, I think the egg gets implanted into the wall of the fallopian tube i'm not exactly sure on what on what that is but um it, it gets to the point where it would kill the mother and the baby if that pregnancy were allowed to continue and so you have to step in and save the mother so in that in those cases of exception uh, uh of a medical emergency then I th- obviously i think that's the right thing to do but he also wrote in his opinion that or in the case of a severe fetal abnormality and so uh, without knowing exactly what he's talking about, it sounds as if if there's something that may be wrong with the baby that may be severe. And, and again, what does he mean by severe? We don't know. I don't think he explains it here. Uh, or I think this is actually the Mississippi Act. This is Samuel Alito's position, but he's actually quoting the Mississippi Gestational Age Act. So it's talking about here that if they are if the baby has a severe fetal abnormality, then it's OK to, to kill the baby. And I'm wondering. I wonder why they put that in the law. Shouldn't they just care about the, um, the, the life of the mother, not for the sake of wondering, oh, if this child is going to have you know, Down syndrome or, or ALS or 
some kind of debilitating issue, then you have the right to kill it. That's what it sounds like what they're saying here. I don't know for sure, and, but if they are saying that, obviously that would be wrong as well because we're all made in the image of God. It doesn't matter how smart or how wise or how independent we are. We are, we are all made in God's image and deserve to be treated uh, as such according to the law of God. And so uh, he continues in his quote after quoting the Mississippi Act, and he says, to support this act, the legislator made a series of factual findings. And these factual findings are pretty, pretty remarkable. And if you listen to these, you'll, you'll, you'll understand how the argument that, oh, you know, most abortions happen way, uh, you know, before, you know, uh, 28 weeks or 22 weeks or 24 weeks, you know, that the viability for phase. A lot of people like to make like to make that argument that a lot of these abortions that are taking place are not even happening too late in pregnancy. They're happening earlier on. And again, that's like saying uh, I didn't kill my baby when he was. Uh, when he was a year old, I killed him when he was two months old. I killed him when he was three months old. You know, so don't fault me. You know, you're, you're looking down your nose at me, but I didn't kill him when he was nine months. I killed him when he was two months. And obviously that reasoning doesn't work once you start thinking about it. So he quotes what the Mississippi uh, legislator came out with regarding these facts regarding children in the womb. And he says, it began by noting that at the time of enactment, only six countries besides the United States permitted non-therapeutic or elective abortion on demand after the 20th week of gestation. The legislator then found that at five or six weeks gestational age, so this is just five or six weeks after a woman's uh, baby is developing, uh, unborn human being's heart begins beating. At eight weeks, the unborn human being begins to move in the womb. At nine weeks, all basic physiological functions are present. At 10 weeks, vital organs begin to function and hair, finger, fingernails, and toenails begin to form. At 11 weeks, an unborn human being's diaphragm is developing and he or she may move about freely in the womb. And at 12 weeks, the unborn human being has taken on the human form in all relevant respects. It found that most abortions after 15 weeks employ dilation and evacuation procedures, which involve the use of surgical instruments to crush and tear the unborn child. And it concluded that the intentional commitment of such acts for, for non-therapeutic or elective reasons is a barbaric practice dangerous, to the dangerous for the maternal patient and demeaning to the medical profession, end quote. And obviously something that is evil and demonic and satanic because, as Jesus reminded us, in John 8, he says, you are, of your, you are of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth. So God, uh, Jesus himself is telling us that if you are a child of the devil and you are a child of, of the devil, if you are not a believer in Christ, if you, you're not following him, that you engage in uh, doing the lust of Satan. You engage in doing the lust of the devil, which the chiefly of them is lying and killing. And that's, again, one of the major tenets and, and foundations of abortion itself. It's lying and killing. Uh, this is what abortion is for. And so when you understand that this is, this is more than just a, uh, a political issue, uh, this, is a, this is a spiritual issue. It's a moral issue. And this is the war that we are having right now for what is right and what is wrong. It's a, it's a war of truth. It's a war of what's right and good according to God. And we see a lot of this reaction uh, within the society, within uh, from both sides of the aisle, but uh, mainly want to show you a couple of different reactions that were in the media during the past week regarding this issue. The first one I want to show you is a tweet from uh, Reverend Raphael Warnock, who uh, is a senator from Georgia, I believe, 
And this is what he tweeted out when this uh, leak happened last week. He says, as a pro-choice pastor, I've always believed that a patient's room is way too small for a woman, her doctor, and the United States government. I'll always fight to protect a woman's right to choose, and that will never change. And somebody made the argument, I think it was a Christian, uh, made the comment saying that there is no room too small for God. God is in that room no matter where you are, no matter what you're hiding, God sees all. Proverbs 15.3 says, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. There is no escape to what's going on, regardless of what laws become uh, the, what, what laws become uh, legal, what laws make murder legal or make whatever legal, God's law still stands as what's ultimately true. And that's the law that God will use to judge people based off of. But he begins to sweep by saying as a pro-choice, pro-choice pastor. So what he's saying is that as a pastor, he still sees or he sees as perfectly fine and legitimate in the eyes of God to kill babies in the womb. This is somebody who has set himself up as a speaker for God, telling women in his congregation or those who come to him for counsel, or even young men that come to him for counsel, he's telling them that it is fine and okay and dandy with God to go get an abortion. It's okay to go kill your to go kill, kill your child, because uh, his pastor, you know, I loosely speaking, Reverend Raphael Warnock, his law is unto himself. He is not abiding by the law of God in this respect, as he's telling women in his church or, or people that come to him for a spiritual counsel, he's telling them and really telling the world now with his tweet that everybody can see uh, they got about 150,000 likes as of last week telling people, hey, it's okay to kill your baby. I'm a pastor. I'm speaking for God. And God, therefore, is telling me to tell you that it's okay to go kill your baby. That's probably the most tragic uh, response that's out there where you have Christians defending this right. And so I want to play you some video response to this uh, reaction from some of the senators that we have in our legislature. This is as urgent and as real as it gets. We will vote to protect a woman's right to choose. And every American is going to see which side every senator stands on. So Senator Chuck Schumer is saying that we are going to to protect a woman's right to choose and they never like finishing the sentence the woman's right to choose what an abortion which is to kill her baby we we want to protect a woman's right to kill the baby developing in her womb that 99.9 percent of them of of babies that are developing developing in the womb according to a pro-abortion uh institute the gut marker institute they say that 99.99 percent of abortions are done for the sake of convenience to the mother. It has nothing to do with rape. It has nothing to do with incest or any of those things. And even if we, even if we as a country agreed, you know what, we'll, we'll ban all abortions except in the case of rape or incest, they still wouldn't be happy with that because they, know, they, 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 they themselves know that most of these abortions are not done because of rape or incest. It's terrible and as evil as those are, and I think rapists should be given the death penalty. And I think uh, people who commit incest, if it's, especially if it's a forced incest, a father to a daughter, or, you know, something of that respect, then I think you should put that person to death. Uh, so it's not that we want to coddle rapists or, or not, uh, you know, treat them with any treat them with any kind of uh, soft peddling. We want rapists really to come to know Christ. We want them to repent of their sin and, and trust in and, and trust in Christ as savior. But they deserve to die. I think even according to God's law in the Old Testament, you raped somebody, you got the death penalty, you were to be stoned. And so uh, but even if we were to give that. Uh, that caveat to say, you know, you were raped as a woman. If you are, if, if this was baby was a result of incest, then we'll give you the right to murder that baby. 
they still would not be satisfied with that because this is all about convenience. This is all about not taking responsibility for the children that God has given you through the acts that you are doing, which is which is one of the other things that never comes up in this argument where they say we want to protect a woman's right to choose. Women are, le are losing their liberties or losing their freedoms. Women, as far as I know, in this country have the ability and freedom to sleep with, with whomever they want to sleep with. Nobody is stopping them from sleeping from sleeping with certain people. If they want to engage in some kind of fornication, it's their desire, it's their free will to do that within this country. There's no law in the book saying thou shalt not fornicate. There is a law in heaven that says that. There is a law according to God that says thou shalt not fornicate or else you deserve to die as all sin leads to death. But there's no American law saying you can't fornicate. So they have the freedom to engage in these acts and to pretend like they don't know what would happen. What will potentially happen when you engage in these acts is just I think is uh, I think you're a fool if you if you think women don't know what's going to happen when they get when they are sleeping around because I think we all understand that we are all we all are knowledgeable about where babies come from for the most part I would say in this country if you're above the age of uh, sadly probably ten these days or eight or even eight years old as we see the as we see uh, children being exposed more and more to sexual issues but here's some more reaction from some of the senators here this is a five alarm fire. Because I am angry, and I am here because the United States Congress can change all of this. I have seen the world where abortion is illegal, and we are not going back. And so you see what uh, the issue at hand is. That, I mean, these people are inflamed that they cannot kill their babies. They're, they're angry. They're passionate. They are even distraught. And some of the protests that you've seen online, you'll just, it just, you just wonder, like, why are they so angry regarding this issue that they can't kill their babies? But really, at the heart of it, it's just sin. They want to be able to live freely without having to deal with the consequences of their sin. Uh, and uh, even to talk about children in that light is even, uh, 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 is even kind of bad that we're even at that junction in American history where we're talking about children as if they're just bad consequences when that's they're really a gift from God if you look at them with the right the right way that God has prescribed you know children are the blessing of the Lord the fruit of the womb is his reward Psalm 127 uh, 3 through 5 tells us that and so but to see women mostly women who are just angry and upset and enraged at this be at this right that may be stripped away nationally speaking not even not even just in several states it's still going to be available in several states in the country but the fact that they won't have it just a blanket uh option to go to any state and get an abortion is just and they're inflamed by that is really just a sad a sad state right now that we that we are living through in american history and i think it's really just part of the judgment of god that he's turned so many people over to the lust of their own heart and he's hardened their heart and they are now engaging even more so in the anger and vitriol that you see within the media and this is senator elizabeth warren who i think i believe is 70 years old and she's one of the more, the more vocal outspoken senators uh, against this leak and you'll see what she has to say uh, here in this clip i am angry because of who will pay the price for this it will not be wealthy women wealthy women can get on an airplane they can fly to another state they can fly to another country Who are already struggling 
three jobs to be able to support the children they have. Well, I am here because I am angry, and I am here because the United States Congress can change all of this. Yes, it is. So there you see that she's angry, she's upset, that this is going to fall on the hardest hit women, that you know, the poorer women, the women that are already working three jobs, the people that were raped, the people that are victims of incest, those kinds of things. And again, just to make the point clear that this, this abortion has has very little to do with people that have been raped or people that have or that are victims of incest or anything like that. It has mainly to do 99% according to people who are who will believe and support abortion rights. According to their own studies, they're the ones t telling us that most abortions are just because women don't want to have a child. They don't want to have to deal with caring for a child. They, want, they don't want to have to deal with raising a child, uh, whether it's on their own or with their, their boyfriend or their husband or, or whoever, whomever it may be. So this really this has very little to do with people who are raped. And again, like I said before, if a woman has been raped, that is a terrible, evil uh, sin against God. Uh, let alone a crime that I think, and according to God's law, backing me up in my uh, opinion here, it should result in the death penalty. If you rape a woman, because I think God values women that highly, and especially their, their sexuality and their innocence that highly, that if you, if you violate that forcefully by the act of rape in the Old Testament, you deserved the death penalty, which was death by stoning. And I think, I, I really think that should apply today, and that, and, and, and that would definitely deter uh, rapes uh, within the country and around the world that people implemented that and so but again this has little to do with rapists little to do with incest this has mostly to do with women who just want to engage in fornication freely and men because men are part of this process too it has to do with women and men who want to engage in fornication without the consequence of sin uh, or without the consequence of their of, of their sin which is a child coming into the world. And again, like I said before, I, I don't even like talking about children as if they are a consequence because I think they are a blessing from God as, as the word, as the Bible tells us. And so, but that's how the world looks at children. They're just a consequence, they get in the way, they, they interrupt what I'm doing and, it, and it's, not, it's not helpful to, to have children coming up and interrupting my day and in, interrupting my life. And, uh, uh, but my, I like my, what my pastor says. He said, you know, children are not an interruption. They are just, they're a blessing of God. They're, 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 they, are, they are what God has given you for that time. And so just cherish the time when they come and interrupt when you're doing something or they're, when, when you're, you think you're going to relax. Just, you know, just cherish the time because they're going to grow up. They're going to leave one day by God's will and, and then you'll be alone again. So just enjoy what God has given you for that set time in life. So children are a blessing of the Lord and we can't, and the world is going, looking at it as if they are a curse and that, that they're evil, that they're, they're things that we need to get out of our bodies. We need to kill them and we need to just completely eradicate them from our lives. And that's not the view that God has regarding uh, children within the womb. Uh, I and I want to play one more reaction from a woman who is, uh, this was actually from 2018, but she still has the same kind of views as, as was evidenced by her recent uh, videos that have come out over the past week. However, this video that I'm about to play is, is from 2018 when this issue was coming up to the forefront again, uh, when I think it was when Brett Kavanaugh was being, 
nominated for the Supreme Court, who was a conservative justice, and he was actually one of the ones who voted in favor of uh, of overturning overturning Roe Road versus Wade uh, on this majority opinion. So her name is Anna Kasparian, and she is a uh, a left wing journalist who works at the Young Turks. Young Turks, which is a left-wing political um, news organization. And this is what she said back in 2018. Just listen to exactly what she says regarding even the word of God. Um, I don't care that you're a Christian. I don't care what the Bible says. Like, I feel like it's a clown show, like sitting here trying to decipher what your little mythical book has to say about these very real political issues, right? I don't care if you're Christian. In fact, I will fight for you to have your religious liberty and practice your Christianity. I believe in that. I don't believe in Christianity, which means that you do not get to dictate the way I live my life based on your religion. I don't care what the Bible says. You have every right in the world, all those women who identify with your religion have every right in the world to not get an abortion, to not take birth control, but they do not have the right to dictate my life and what I decide to do with my body. I don't care about your religion. I'm so tired of having nonstop conversations about what the Bible says. You live your life in the way that you interpret the Bible. Again, I don't care, but you don't get to take the Bible and tell me, well, the Bible says this in this chapter and this verse. I don't care. I don't care. I don't believe in it. And I have the right based on our constitution to not believe in it. And so what you see there is a sinner who has been told probably by a faithful Christian, or she's probably seen it in the media, that abortion is a sin against God. Abortion is evil. Abortion is murder. And what you are engaging in is something that will send you to hell because you are going against the law that God has prescribed clearly within his word and even in your own conscience. And so what you see in that reaction is somebody who is brazen and bold against God, blaspheming his name, blaspheming his word. And God has let her live for the last four years after this comment. She, as far as I know, she's she's still doing fine. She's still working at the same news organization, still making pretty good money, um, still being asked to speak around the country to, in support of left-wing causes. So God is still giving this woman grace and mercy, even though he she has blasphemed him and continues to reject him, continues to reject his son, the only sacrifice for the sins that you saw her commit in this video and all of her sins that she's ever committed in her life. And so, but this is the reaction of the world that she really speaks for a lot of women and men. Uh, on, a, on a more broad and open platform, the reaction regarding when we quote the Bible, when we say the Bible says this, this is the reaction that they get. They don't want, they don't care what the Bible has to say. They don't they don't want to hear what the Bible has to say. They don't care about our religion. That she even called it a myth. You know what we believe in is a myth. The Bible is a myth. It's just a book of stories. So why are you giving so much credence to what the Bible says? And again, my opinion doesn't matter. My opinion regarding moral issues has no bearing on anybody because I'm not God. So you don't have to listen to me. But what the Bible says is what matters because you will be judged by that standard. The standard of Levi Bimba won't come into account for anybody. It won't even come into account for Levi Bimba. So it's not going to matter what I have to say at Judgment Day. The only thing that's going to matter is what the Bible says at Judgment Day because the Bible is just shorthand for saying God says, thus saith the Lord. This is what the word of God says. You ought to not kill your child. And that's what she's coming up against. And we're going to read exactly what the Bible does have to say regarding this issue. Uh, and just after this one clip by uh, Scott Klusendorf, who is a pro-life uh, uh, public defender and teacher and also a Christian who goes around and speaks around the country regarding defending the, the life of children in the womb. And I liked how he kind of just simply 
succinctly, calmly summed up the defense uh, of, of, of uh, the pro-life position. And this, here's what he had to say. I'm pro-life because it's wrong to intentionally kill innocent human beings. And you know what else, Aunt Betty? The science of embryology says from the earliest stages of development, you were a distinct, living, and whole human being. You weren't part of another human being like skin cells on the back of my hand. You were already a whole living member of the human family, even though you had yet to grow and mature. And you know what else? There's no essential difference between that embryo you were and the adult you are today that would justify killing you back then. Differences of size level of development, environment, and degree of dependency are not good reasons for saying we could kill you then, but not now. So there's your clear understanding and explanation of the pro-life position. If you want to memorize that, I think it would be help us all to memorize that and think about that when we engage in these issues so we can do it calmly, succinctly, so, so people can understand the, uh, the posi position that we have all founded on the Word of God, as he continues to say in his lecture there. But now let's go to what God has to say about killing babies in the womb, because God sees babies as image bearers. We all come into the world through our mother's womb. The only person that didn't come through the womb was Adam because he was the first man created by God. And then he made Eve from Adam. But every other human being, even including the Lord Jesus Christ, came through the womb of, of Mary, his mother. But back in Genesis 9, 6, God says, Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. And so a lot of people on the left say, well, are you going to criminalize women for killing their babies, you know, for having an abortion? If you actually believe it's murder, are you going to criminalize babies? And a lot of people on the right say, well, no, we're not going to criminalize women because women don't really know, understand what they're doing. They're kind of victims of the, of the abortion industry. And I tend to disagree with that because I don't think women are are that uninformed. I don't think they're that ignorant regarding the, the child within their womb. I think I would be hard pressed to find a woman who doesn't know or really understand that she's killing a baby that's growing within her womb. She knows something is growing. She knows that after uh, uh, you know fornication or, or any kind of intercourse that pregnancy is possible. And so for me to believe that a woman doesn't know what's happening, that's like me, that's like a man saying, you know, a man doesn't know what's going on whenever he's engaging in intercourse and doesn't know that a child is possible from that. I just don't believe that because I think we know intuitively or even know from broader culture that you know, when, when you engage in sex, a child is more, is more than likely to happen, especially if you're not using any kind of contraception. So God is saying here, if you kill somebody, you deserve the death penalty. And I think if you are a woman or a man or a doctor or a nurse or anybody engaging in this practice, of abortion and know about it and willfully are intending to go into this uh, procedure to kill the baby, then you deserve the death penalty, according to Genesis 9, 6. And I think a little talked about passage that kind of makes it even clearer regarding this issue is Exodus 21, verses 22 to 23, where God says, if men strive and hurt a woman with child, notice how they put a woman with child. So this is somebody who's pregnant and the Bible calls the, calls the, uh, the pregnant woman uh, a woman with child, so they they the Bible God defines the, the 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 thing that you want to call growing it within her womb. God doesn't call it a thing; He calls it a child, so that her fruit depart from her, and yet no misfortune follow. He shall surely be punished according as a woman's husband will lay upon him. So this is in regards to you know two guys are fighting over something, and the woman gets involved and tries to stop her husband from fighting the guy, or tries to protect her husband. And they accidentally knock her down and she gets hurt and she loses the baby. Uh, so that's what it means by yet no misfortune follow. 
but the misfortune in this case is that there's no um there was no intended uh intended act by one of the men to harm the woman and to kill the child uh, it says that he shall surely be punished according as a woman's husband will lay upon him and he shall pay as the judges determine and so whatever whatever the husband says you know they lost the child due to this fighting that was going on they were they were wrestling and the woman came in and then she got hurt and the baby died but the woman the guy that was fighting with the husband wasn't intending to kill the child it was you know it was an accident she got in the way he knocked her over and she lost the baby uh, the husband had the right to tell the guy to pay you know some of money or a form of labor or something where uh it would be it would be seen as restitution uh and then then he had the guy that made the injury he had to pay the husband and the wife uh whatever the husband uh required according to what the judges wanted uh but the verse continues and it says that and if any misfortune follow then thou shalt give life for life and so regarding the misfortune so if there was a um uh a willful act of murder or some a willful act of of the woman losing the child by one of the men it says thou shalt give life for life eye for eye tooth for tooth hand for hand foot for foot and so uh in that regard you're 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 seeing you're seeing as the child uh you're seeing that the child that is being killed uh has the person that is killing the child put to death that 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 person needs to be put to death because of that evil placed upon the child's life in Psalms uh, 71, verse 6, it says, By thee have I been held from the womb. Thou art he that took me out of my mother's womb. My praise shall be continually of thee. So the psalmist is giving praise to God that he has been held from the womb by God and that it is God that has took, taken him out of his mother's womb. So he was a person in his mother's womb and now he's a person out of his mother's womb. He has just changed locations. And the location of a human being does not determine their value, does not determine whether or not we should kill that, that human being. Again, if I have a toddler who is in my house and then I take him out into the street, do I have the right to kill him in the street as opposed to in my house or vice versa? No, you would obviously say not. And it's the same thing with children in the womb. You don't have the right to take them out of the womb and kill them and then, or, or keep them in the womb and kill them. But then when they're out of the womb, you can't kill them. It doesn't make any sense because they are still uh, a person in the eyes of God. Psalm 139.16, it says, Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being imperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in, which in continuity were fashioned, when as yet there were none of them. So all of this formation going on in the womb that we read earlier that the Mississippi uh, legislators found regarding the development of the heartbeat and the physiology and the, the function of the body going on in the womb within the earliest weeks, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13 weeks, all of that stuff going on. All of that was formed by God. All of that substance, even though it was unperfect, being incomplete, God is looking at it and seeing it as a person in the womb developing. And uh, those are the members that God had given to that child. So a child in the womb is somebody who deserves life because God says they deserve life. And we don't have the right to kill that person. Ecclesiastes 11.5, it says, As thou knowest not what is in the way of the Spirit, nor how the bones grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so thou knowest not the works of God who maketh all. So we don't, even if we don't understand how bones grow and are, are formed and how the heart is formed from a sperm and an egg and all, that, all of the, the things that take place with the DNA within the womb of a, of a woman, what we do know is that a woman is with child and that, uh, and that, that, that is the work of God. That is the work of God who, is made, who has made all of us, and God who's created all of us within the womb. And I think from 1973 till today that we have slaughtered 62 million babies in the womb, 
which is just it's really a mind-boggling number but the, and then uh, a really mind-boggling number but most of those children were like I was saying earlier they were born or they were killed just out of sole convenience for the for the woman involved they wanted to continue on with their, with their career they didn't want to have a child they weren't ready they didn't want to have to work harder to, t- to take care of the child whatever the reasoning was it wasn't because they were going to die but it was because they just didn't want to have a child uh, at that time in their life and then finally uh or one more before finally Luke 1 15 31 and 39 through 44 uh, it says for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb talking about John the Baptist so filled with the Holy Ghost in the womb of his mother so he was a person in the womb of his mother being filled with the Holy Ghost before he even came out into the world it continues and behold thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus Again, conceive in thy womb. So conception is a son or as a person, you know, a son or a daughter, you, are, you conceive in the womb. No matter how small they are, no matter how little they are, they are a whole, uh, they are a, an innocent human being, a whole human being who deserves, who deserves life. Even the son of God himself was seen as a, uh, a baby within the womb. He was seen as a person who deserved life and was brought into the world uh, as such. And it continues, and it says, And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judah and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. So again, the Bible reveals to us that the baby within her womb, when Mary, the mother of Jesus, came to visit her, came to visit Elizabeth, that John the Baptist that was still in the womb of Mary, he leaped for joy. So he was a person. He reacted to what was going on in the life of, his, of, the, of the mother carrying him as uh, the mother uh, of Christ came to visit his mother. And so the baby within her reacted. And was uh, and was happy not at Mary's presence, but at the uh, at the baby within within her, which is another person. Uh, so we, the Bible clearly tells us that the babies within women are people. They're they're persons. They're a man or a potential man or woman. Obviously, uh, starting off as a baby, but they are a child, and that they deserve to be protected. They deserve the life that God has given them, the ability to grow uh, within the womb of their of their mother of their mothers. And finally, Luke 2.21, it says, when, And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, talking about Jesus, his name was called Jesus, who was so named by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So, obviously, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, he came as a baby into this world and was carried in his mother's womb and was seen as a person, as a baby, the Savior of the world. And it's because of his birth that we actually have life. And I like what Jeff Durbin uh, said, a reform pastor, I think out in Minnesota or uh, Arizona, he said, we cannot argue for life apart from the one who is the life. We can't argue for what is true regarding the life of baby, babies in the womb apart from Christ, because Christ is, is the truth. He is the, he is the life. He is one who, def, who defines what is right and what is good and what is sound. And to make any argument apart from Christ is, re, is really making a, a shallow argument. It's not making a, a, a clean cut argument regarding uh, the authority of what is right and wrong regarding this issue of abortion. And so 
we have to remember that though um, abortion is evil and it is wrong and it is deadly and it is an offense against God, we have the good news is that Jesus, as a baby, and came into the world, grew up, became a man, and died on the cross for all of the people, all of the men and the women who engaged in abortion or supported abortion or, or supported the murder of their own child by, take, by you know, paying a doctor. All of those who have the sin of abortion on their conscience, they can be perfectly cleansed and forgiven. So if you have had an abortion, if you are guilty of engaging in the sin of murdering your own child, as heinous and as evil and as wicked as that is, and, and, and as a sin, it deserves death. As a sin, you deserve to go to hell for that sin and suffer for that sin. The good news is that Jesus died on the cross to take away the wrath of God against you for engaging in that sin of abortion. So the Bible says if you repent and believe on the Christ, God will wipe away all that sin from your life. He'll wipe away the penalty uh, of that sin from your life. And you will no longer have to face God on judgment day and give an accounting for that sin of, of murdering your child. God will completely wipe away that abortion from your from your account and you will be given the righteousness of Christ. God will not begrudgingly save you. He won't say, well, you know, Sally or or Kevin or Sue or whoever you are. He won't say, well, you had an abortion. So I guess you can become a Christian, but I'm not really going to let you enjoy the full benefits of being a Christian. No, the Bible says you will you will get all that you need for life and godliness. God will give you all things if he if he didn't spare Christ on the cross. Why would, he re why would he refuse to give you everything you need in your life to please him? And so the good news is that you can be forgiven. You don't, have to, you don't have to carry this burden around for the rest of your life. You can be saved. You can be brought into a right, relationship, a right relationship with God because he will fully forgive you. Jesus said, if any man comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. So if you come to Christ in humble repentance and in faith in him, he will forgive you and cleanse you. And you can be completely forgiven for the sin of murdering your child. And if you don't repent, if you don't come to Christ, if you don't believe on the only sacrifice for sin, then a day of judgment awaits you and a day that God will pour out his wrath on you fully and without mercy and without grace. You won't, you won't enjoy the grace of God that you are enjoying now. Uh, you will suffer eternity for the sin of not believing in Christ, of not trusting in him and, suffer, and suffering for the, the abortions that you have taken and the murders that you have engaged in regarding your own your own child. And so don't be one of those who refuses the sacrifice of Christ. Believe on him, repent, trust in him, and he will save you. He will deliver you and bring you out of darkness into light. So thank you for listening to this episode today, and I will see you in the next episode of Do Loss.